Hey, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Biz Books. Thank you so much for joining us, either on by podcast or on YouTube. Uh, I appreciate you being here. My name is Gene Marks, your, your very uh, regular host for this show. Uh, but enough about me. I'm talking to um, Mike Payton, who goes by Payton, so I don't want to confuse anybody. Uh, Mike, I'm going to be calling you Payton because that's how you are referred Please. to. Uh, Payton is the co-author of a book called Process, How Discipline and Consistency Will Set You and Your Business Free. Uh, Peyton is the co-author with Lisa Gonzalez. First of all, uh, Peyton, thank you very much for joining me. I'm really, I'm thrilled to have you here. It's a great book. Very much my pleasure. Thanks, Gene, for having me. So tell me a little bit about your company, EOS, about you and about Lisa. You can go in any order that you want, uh, but ultimately let's get to like why you wrote the book. Yeah, you bet. Well, let's start with EOS. EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a simple and complete set of tools and practical concepts that uh, help business owners and leaders run better businesses and live better lives. And when you're implementing EOS in an entrepreneurial company, you're working to strengthen the six key components of your business, vision, people, data, issues, process, and traction. And Lisa Gonzalez, my fabulous co-author, and I were highly motivated to write the process book because a lot of entrepreneurs put that last in their list of priorities when they look at the six key components. And we noticed that, you know, neither of us were as passionate about process as we could be, and maybe therefore not quite as good at teaching it. And so, you know, this was a passion project for both of us to help ourselves get better at teaching it and help our clients get better at strengthening that essential process component. That's great. You have been a longtime author, right? I mean, you've got, you know, and I see behind you, there are other books that you have, that, that you've written. Tell me a little bit about how, how you make your money and what you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, as you know, with all those books behind you and all the authors you've interviewed, uh, very few people get into the writing books business for profit. Um, True. <laughs> you know, it is really because you've got something to share with the world. And so when I became an EOS implementer uh, almost 16 years ago, uh, very quickly, I wanted to add something to the uh, library of books describing EOS. And so I went to Gino had written the book Traction in 2007, the year I went off to get trained and learn how to do this. And a year or so later, I approached him and said, hey, I, I've got an idea for a business fable that would tell the story of a company implementing EOS. And he had the same idea on his long-term uh, vision uh, list on a document we teach in our, our process. And so we agreed to collaborate. And, uh, and, and that book was published in 2012. Uh, and so that was the first of the two books I've written. There may be more, um, but but generally the idea that there's a need in the world for a message that isn't out there in exactly the form I would like, sure. um, uh, motivates me. Um, okay, Peyton. So, so you, you consult and, you know, you, you coach and you help people with process and help people grow their businesses. Um, tell me about like the sort of the demographic of your clients, like who is, who are the kind of clients that you're, that you're out for? Is there anybody too big or too small? 
Yeah. So, so EOS was built for privately held entrepreneurial companies that have between 10 and 250 employees. Okay. There are definitely companies smaller and larger running on EOS. There are publicly traded companies running on EOS. I've got two in my roster of clients, but, but that's for whom the system was built. There's a unique set of challenges causing entrepreneurial leaders in that stage of growth to hit the ceiling and the tools really resonate with the people at that stage of development. And, and what we say is we're, we call ourselves EOS implementers. There are 650 professional EOS implementers around the globe. Mm. And, and we are teachers, facilitators, and coaches when we're working with the leadership team of an entrepreneurial company. When you say there's, you know, 650 EOS implementers around the world, do they, are you the parent organization um, or are you just one of those implementers? Well, for a while I was both. I was the visionary for EOS worldwide for mm -hmm. five years. I succeeded Gino Wickman, the creator of EOS in that role. And uh, just before COVID hit, purely coincidentally, I assure you, mm -hmm. uh, I stepped down to go back to my practice, helping uh, companies running on EOS full time. So so since early 2020, I've been a full-time EOS implementer, an author, and a speaker. And uh, EOS Worldwide is run by a couple of friends and colleagues of mine, and and that's the parent company. You know, I I, I'm, I don't even know what your degree was in college, but I'm hoping it was psychology or psychiatry. Does it kind of sound <laughs> was, like that's what your life it is? It was English, about. but but when I described what I was doing with EOS to my to my brother. Uh, who's several years younger than me and likes to remind me of that many, many times. Um, he said, so kind of like therapy for yeah. business owners and leaders. And, 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 and there is some truth to that because, you know, the, 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 the problem resolution mechanism is you've got to name it and own it and get in the room with the people you got to rely on to fix it. And, and if that isn't therapy, I don't know what is so. It's hilarious. You know what it reminds me? It reminds me of um, uh, you know, Gordon Ramsay's old show, his Kitchen Nightmare show. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. And, but, and but, I do a similar amount of swearing when I'm working with an I, I believe it. Company. As long as, but you, you don't take your shirt off, do you, and get changed? I, I, yes, I, I, I would lose all the business I've got <laughs> now, Chief, so no, I do not. That, but we're all very grateful to hear that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and his show was making me, you know, it always made me, first of the, the first few seasons that took place in the UK, because he would go in and scream and yell and do, which I'm assuming is not your, your methodology. Um, and then, you know, and 95% of those businesses still failed. You know, I mean, there's still, you have to have a, um, I guess a mindset to do what you got to do to expect that, you know, you can lead the horse to water. You can teach them everything. You can write books like this, like process, but there's a certain percentage of people that are just, you know, the majority. Yeah. You know, I give Gino a lot of credit. One of the things I give him a lot of credit for is, you know, EOS was built for well-run companies that know there's a next level and can't uh, figure out a way to get there themselves or are struggling more to get there. We don't really work with the kind of clients Gordon, you know, took on that were on the verge of collapse. I, I it's, Sometimes it's just too late, no matter how talented or good those people are. But the cool thing is, if we're in the room with somebody who's considering running on EOS, and we describe what the journey to implement AOS looks and feels like, and they're not likely to benefit from the work we're about to consider doing together. They know it and we know it, and we're able to part ways as friends and colleagues rather than 
you know, trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. That's that's a big part of the reason this stuff works is if it isn't going to work for you, you're probably not going to sign on. And uh, and we're we're going to get to the book in a second, but this all dovetails into the content of your book. But I'm kind of just kind of curious, how long do your engagements with your clients last? I mean, if, on, I'm going to hire average, you. Yeah, on average, and we keep data on this, um, you know, on average, a client spends 10 full days with an EOS implementer over the course of about two years, mm-hmm. learning the system, learning the tools, we're facilitating their meetings. And then somebody on the leadership team takes over the role of EOS implementer from inside the organization. They keep running on EOS, but they don't, they're not dependent on us. That we're sort of anti-consultant in that way is we don't want to dig ourselves more deeply into the organization. We want to come teach a system, fully implement that system throughout the organization, and then get out of their way and let them run their business using the tools we've shared with them. That's great. All right. Well, that's, that's super interesting, Peyton. And there's no shortage of prospective clients for you. It's just a matter of finding them and, and you know, making them understand the value from hiring somebody like yourself. Um, let's, let's, let's jump in this book because this book is, is about process. Um, you write early on in the book, like in the first chapter, you, you, you say that process doesn't destroy freedom. It creates freedom. Can you explain to me what you mean by that? Yeah, what what I mean by that? Well, it's funny. Uh, when I when when we had put sent the finished uh, manuscript to the publisher for the last time, and they were typesetting and all that, I did my first big workshop for an entrepreneurial audience exclusively on the subject of process. And afterwards, mm-hmm. Gino called me and asked how things went. And I said, really, really well. I was very pleasantly surprised by the reaction from the audience and felt accessible and connected. And and he goes, so let me get this straight, Peyton. You spoke for 75 minutes on the subject of process alone to a room full of early stage entrepreneurs and they liked it. (laughs) So, so that's where that comes from, Gene, is that, is that the perception in the minds of most entrepreneurs is you're either an entrepreneur or you're process oriented. And, and as we illustrate very clearly in the book. That's just not not the case. Entrepreneurs succeed because they're sort of naturally and genetically encoded as process-driven. It just comes so automatically to them. They associate other people being process-driven with 500-page SOP manuals and rigid compliance cultures where nobody's allowed to think for themselves. And, Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. There's an entrepreneurial approach to strengthening your process component that we teach in the book. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny too, because if you ask anybody that's running a business, starting up a business, or I have 10 employees and you know, my business has been around for about 20 years now, we all get, we all get the importance of process, but I don't really know if, if a lot of us have our arms around, if, it, you know, if we're just saying that, like we truly don't understand the benefits of, of having a good, you know, multiple good processes in a business. And uh, I mean, tell me a little bit about, you know, because you, you sell this, this is like your, you live this. What are the benefits of living, you know, running a business that's based on really good regular processes internally? Well, let's start with this freedom thing. You know, let's stay on that thread. So the first and most important thing is you grow and 10 is where it starts for a lot of people to fall apart at the seams. As you grow to 10 or 20 or 30 people, what you one of our the, the people we interviewed for the book, a company running on EOS, my good friend Ali Nasser, he and his integrator were talking to Lisa and I, and he said, you know, when we started this business, if you wanted me to draw the process for almost everything on the whiteboard, it would be 
somebody who's a new employee gets an opportunity and they come see me. Right. And then, and then I tell them what to do and they go do that thing and they come back and see me. And then they go and do that other thing and they come back and see me. And he said, you know, when you, when you document and simplify your core processes, you eliminate the come see Ollie <laughs> from the process. And so that's, you know, benefit number one is you're teaching people how to do the work you would do if you could clone yourself the way you would do it. And right. so it frees you up to not get sucked into day-to-day -day stuff every day. You know what that reminds me of is uh, like, I know you must've read back in the day, the, uh, you know, Michael Gerber's book, you know, the E-Myth. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, it's funny, you know, one of the takeaways I had from that book was he talked about the process of like franchises, like a McDonald's, you know, where everything is process oriented instructions written down, you know, from, from how to make fries to how to order the beef. And that way, you know, whoever owned a number of McDonald's, you put a manager in place. And even if people leave, they just, you know, it just works. Turn, it keeps turnkey. Yeah. Turnkey. Yeah. 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 So, and I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gerber. He was a major, uh, his work was a major inspiration for the book. And, you know, that, that ability to delegate rather than abdicate. Right. So yeah. how do you teach people your system for excellence without needing to be in the trenches alongside them every day, teaching them every step in the system. And that's what we're trying to teach in process. How do you, you know, I get, we will jump around a little bit, but just cause you, you, you bring it up about putting in that processing and getting away from people always having to come back to you and come back to you and come back to you. There's a percentage of people that run businesses that are just naturally their DNA is their, their micromanagers, you know, and they have to be minutely, you know, involved. Yeah in everything. And I, I'm kind of curious, you know, they see, they, they're the ones that would probably, I would imagine buy in, understand the whole concept of having a specific process for doing something, but would seem to be the hardest people to convince to then implement that process and live it, you know, and back away. Do you yeah. Well, there's a little therapy here, Gene, because <laughs> it's perfectionism, right? It's, yeah. it's, nobody's ever going to be able to do it the way I would do it if I did it myself. So why don't I just save everybody a lot of time and trouble and nudge you out of the way and take care of this? And, and I'm guilty of that. That's kind of my natural go-to. Um, and, and it, it still trips me up today. I'm, I'm, you know, in the waning years of my career and I, and I still catch myself uh, doing the same thing. So, you know, it just, it, it just means you're a normal human being, but if you want to grow and scale your business beyond your own capacity to manage everything, you have to learn how to do it. And, and the way to do that is to learn and grow and push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And quite frankly, that's the first goal of the book process is helping convert the mindset of the perfectionists, the the entrepreneurs who believe you have to choose between freedom and process and don't understand the connection between those things. We're just trying to reset mindsets in the early stages of that book. And does that also mean just having to accept that things might not be perfect? Mistakes will be made. Um, mistakes will be made. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and they're the best lessons you you can use to teach your people. You, you win some and you learn some. So yeah. Um, you, you, and, and again, tough lesson to learn. And, and, you know, a lot of businesses, the, the general perception is, and often it's quasi true, if not completely true, we can't afford more than one mistake every nine months. And we, 
we we had ours back in October. So we, we until July, I need to do everything again, right? That's a normal, that's a normal predicament for a business owner. Yeah. And you know, once you do accept that and you can understand the the, the value that you know the benefits will outweigh the cost. Mistakes will be made, but if you allow people to follow a process and do stuff on their own without you micromanaging them, you'll be able to do a lot more for the business and therefore grow the business in different ways. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and again, it's what you want, right? Mm -hmm. If in the end of the day, you're never going to let go and you're always going to micromanage, then you need to let go of your desire to grow and scale a company beyond the number of people you can successfully micromanage. Right. Where you get yourself into trouble is you're trying to grow a business that requires delegation and elevation and you won't learn to delegate and elevate. That's where you get into trouble. There are lots of great $1.5 million businesses or, you know, eight people businesses, and they should stay eight people and they should be profitably run and serve their customers. Well, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just, if you want to have a hundred employees, you can't keep being the one person everybody goes to for direction. It's funny. You've, you've just exactly described my business. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that one and a half million to $2 million range, I've got 10 people and um, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, we're good. Like, I don't really want to be a 50 person company. Yeah. And, you know, we have a good core group of people that's been with me for a while and, you know, we have nice clients and, you know, it's a good life. So, but you're right. You got to make those choices. Now, as much as we're talking about delegating responsibility and you know having people uh, you know do their stuff, you still write. You have a whole chapter about owning the process. You can't. You say you can't just hand it off to them and bolt to the door. You know. Um, tell me why not. Well, you know we we write this up in the book and and hopefully with what people can recognize as a bit of a sense of humor. But back in the day, I was a pretty decent salesperson and sales manager and. I, I had more than one business owner come to me and say, hey, uh, Peyton, you seem to know what you're doing here in the sales thing. Why don't you just write down everything about the way you do your job and then we'll teach everybody else to do it that way. And 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 man, we'll sell a, a lot more stuff. Well, no decent salesperson with with the shred of an ego wants to do that. So there's that's one of the many reasons why you don't want to ask your people to document your processes for you. The, the other reason is that most of us believe our jobs are by nature more complicated than they really are. And so, you know, I'm the guy who would have said to my boss, well, oh, hey, Steve, no, you don't understand. I mean, this is way more complex than, than you. There's no set of steps that I replicate every time. I mean, sometimes my clients are old and sometimes they're young and sometimes they're skinny and sometimes they're a little chunky and sometimes they're tall and some, you know, and so you got to do it, you know, and Steve would kind of look at me and go, yeah, Peyton, you're full of crap. And, he <laughs> and so, so there's all kinds of inertia against people documenting and simplifying their own processes that we teach in the book. The leadership team needs to own it and drive it with a focus on getting everybody 100% on the same page with the right and best way to do the handful of things our way. So when we're out in the world, we're making the difference we want to make. That's all. So, uh, you know, so just a, a couple of questions on that real, you know, one, one is, you know, if you do want to document the process, use the salesman as an example, who, who should then be doing, I mean, what, what you're saying to me is like the worst person to do that is the actual salesperson that's, you know, performing the work. 
it should be somebody else. Does that mean it should be you, the the owner? The, the sales leader else? or the owner should should walk alongside the salesperson, learn, observe, take their own notes, ask questions. Hey, what you know, if you had to boil down a, a sales, the building of a sales relationship into three important steps, what would you say those are, Sally? Right. Right. You know, is the kind of thing like just just partner with your people to try and figure this out alongside them rather than asking them to do the work uh, for you. But at the end of the day, make sure that whatever you've observed and optimized and written down, the salesperson gets a chance to poke holes in it. Hey, Sally, based on the work we did together, here's what we created. This is the way I think we ought to teach new salespeople if and when we are bringing them on board how to do what you do so well naturally. What do you think about this? Is this right? Is this wrong? And in that relationship, you're actually going to get a really solid finished product and the salesperson is going to feel involved, but not taken advantage of. If Got that it. Makes sense. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Take us through Peyton, um, the, the three-step process documenter that you write about. <laughs> Yeah, so so uh, when when a client's working with us and they need a little help from their EOS implementer to strengthen the process component, uh, we take them through a three-step process. Step one is let's decide what in our business needs to be systemized mm. and what doesn't. We believe there's only a handful of core processes in most businesses. Uh, Izzy Sharp, who founded Four Seasons, uh, was once famously quoted as saying, we want to systemize the predictable so we can humanize the exceptional. And what he meant by that was, if all our people are heads down, focused on following a rigorous process all the time, then when a guest needs something, they're not gonna notice that, they're not gonna delight them, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, when we make a bed in a, in a sleeping room, there's probably a 10 step checklist we need to put together that will allow our service people to do that more quickly and more sure. consistently well, right? And right. so that's step one in the three-step process documenter is what are those things we should systemize? We you're, call identi those our, you're identifying those things, right? Yeah, okay. We call those our handful of core processes. We're identifying the handful of core processes. Okay. Step two is document and simplify hmm. each of those core processes. What that means is Jot down the handful of most important steps in each process, not every step and every ad hoc, one-off, nuanced, different wave. But if we had to boil it down to five to 15 really important steps, what are those? Mm -hmm. And then just give us the who, what, when, where, and how of the right and best way to do right. each of those steps. And then the third thing is package them in a way that makes them easy to find and use. I can't tell you how many times a process initiative has failed in an organization because the finished product looks beautiful sitting on a credenza somewhere, but the people doing the work documented in that process manual or checklist can't use it comfortably in the field. And so just make sure if they're if they're outside doing electrical work, you've got a laminated piece of plastic they can write on with a dry erase marker instead of a 
sheet of paper that's going to get all crumpled up in five seconds. When example. you talk about packaging it, I mean, there's the physical packaging, like you just said, like some type of a document or yeah. some type of a, you know, on a clipboard, it could be something you, you get to people on an app or on a, you know, on an internal, you know, website that you can look at. Um, but is, is, um, is communications part of that packaging? You know, is it, do, do you include training? Is that, yeah. is that training is actually part of the next step in the process process. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, that is how do you get these documented, simplified and packaged uh, processes followed by all, we call it the followed by all checklist mm -hmm. because, because knowing how to do it well every day and actually doing it well every day requires the changing of habits and consistent behaviors and left to their own devices, people will revert back. And so training is actually the first step in that. In that. Now, sometimes a client chooses to package their core processes in a way that's embedded into a training mechanism. And that's becoming more and more popular today, Gene. The the, there are a number of organizations who have built software to warehouse process videos mm -hmm. that are all connected to a learning management system. Mm -hmm. So once you make that decision to package your core processes in that way, you're actually already thinking about the training mechanism you're going to use to change behaviors. Makes sense. You've been talking about core processes, but you also write about something called a proven process. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you can give us the distinction between the two. Yeah, the, the proven process in a company running on EOS is one of the four elements of, of something we teach in the vision component called marketing strategy. And this is where we get the leadership team 100% on the same page with the target market of their organization, a, a definition of the ideal customer, okay, and then a message that you're going to use to compel more of those ideal customers to do business with you. That message includes three uniques, just three differentiators. Why are we different and better than the competition set in clear, simple language, a proven process and a guarantee. The proven process, best illustration of that is this EOS process behind me. It's a one page visual illustration of the journey an EOS implementer takes his or her client on when they're interested in learning more about EOS and all the way to the time where they're a long-time satisfied business partner and they're running EOS on their own. And we use that as part of our marketing and sales message to deliver a message to the marketplace that we've got a proven way of taking care of entrepreneurial leadership teams and they don't need to worry that we're making this stuff up as we go along. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, metrics are important. So you write about how... <clears throat> It's important to to measure how successful a process is. You guys at EOS use what you call it the company scorecard. Yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the company scorecard is a is a five to fifteen number weekly scorecard that typically augments in an entrepreneurial company what most organizations between ten and two hundred and fifty people are already pretty pretty good at doing. Okay. which is looking at their financial performance on a monthly or quarterly basis and other important measurables about the prior month or prior quarter or year to date, and then trying to keep things on track that way. The problem with that approach alone is that those are all trailing indicators. And once you've either won business or not won business in February and the month closes, if you're under budget, you're never going to fix that. 
And so all you can do is focus on selling twice as much stuff as you thought you could sell in March to try and make up for it. And so what we do with the weekly company scorecard is we ask the leadership team to identify leading indicators, the activities-based numbers that are going to produce sales, revenue, customer satisfaction scores increasing, that kind of outcome. But what are the activities you want to measure engaging in on a weekly basis to get those future results? It gives the leadership team the ability to predict what's going to happen in the future, and therefore they have an absolute pulse on the business and can react faster. What kind of activities do you think, um, you know, would make this up? I mean, you know, from sales, you're talking about number of calls, visits, appointments that are made during the course of the meaningful, week. And meaningful conversations with a new prospect that's never done business with us before is a very common number. Right. Yeah. And on the service side, uh, so, you know, number of tickets that are opened or closed or how quickly they're closed after they're uh, open, I'm assuming, right? Things like that. I have, a, I have a dental office in my network that I think has the best example of that. Okay. They were struggling with declining patient satisfaction scores, and they were trying to fix that by looking at the customer satisfaction scores, and they were declining and declining. And the, a receptionist popped up and said, hey, I'll tell you why everybody's not filling out the surveys the way they want. We're getting worse and worse at seating patients on time. They've got an appointment at 1130. They've taken a lunch break. These are busy people. We don't get them in the chair till afternoon. They're pissed. Yeah. And so what they put on their activities-based scorecard is the number of minutes between a, the average number of minutes in a week between when a patient was supposed to be seated and when a patient actually got seated and they worked to shrink that gap down to less than five minutes, their patient satisfaction score is shot right up. Fascinating. That is fascinating. I mean, it's a lot of data that has to be tracked, particularly for like a smaller company. Yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, do you, is that like a challenging thing? I mean, it's hard to get people well, to do that stuff. Well, it was, it was really challenging 40 years ago when I first started in business because nobody had any data. We were putting them all on, you know, green and yellow accounting sheets, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and now I actually see the opposite problem, Gene, where there's tons of data everywhere, but nobody's using it to make smarter, better, faster decisions. Now, what I will tell you is most of, of our clients have learned that the simpler tick mark on a legal pad kind of ways of measuring things, the better. In yeah. other words, you don't need to go install a fancy CRM system to compile sales data. Just ask your sales people to report honestly the stuff they did the prior week in the simplest, easiest, least time consuming format possible. And that works for about 80% of our clients. So, you know, everything about EOS is how can we keep it simple, keep it clear and drive accountability around the, you know, basic stuff. It's funny that you say that just to go off track a little bit. So my, I'm a CPA, um, but my companies, you know, we, we implement CRM systems, you know, the, now that you mentioned that. And um, we battle all the time between uh, with, with, with clients whose eyes are bigger than their stomachs. You know, they want to do so much and compile so much data and track and they never use it. They don't. And, and it always turns out to be a mess because not everybody complies with it all. And we, you know, we spend so much of our time saying, listen, we need to keep the system very simple. You know, if all we knew, we, we want to check the number of calls that are being made during the week, or just a simple pipeline report that we want to generate every week. That gives us more information and more of a finger on the pulse of the operations 
than having all this data that's going into the system that nobody's ever using. That's right. Um, and, and I guess a lot of businesses, they get, they get romanced by the software companies. They fall in love with the possibilities, but yeah. then they don't start with the basics. Like yeah. what I say to those folks, yeah. you know, I, we, we always say there are groups of people who are natural born simplifiers in the world. Yeah. And there are groups of people who are natural born complicators in the world. I always say to the complicators of which I'm one, just to be fully uh, open and honest here. We always say to the complicators you know what, could you please just trust us and start with three to five things that'll move the needle. And then we'll add three more once your team has mastered these basics. You wouldn't teach a T-baller how to hit a split-fingered fastball <laughs> on a two count, you know, with bases loaded. I mean, that's too much information. So let's start with the basics and just it's amazing to me how many people reject that notion when it's so obviously. It's so, uh, and it's funny because I, I mean, I run into countless clients and prospective clients. They want to, you know, because you know what they do? They read the in-flight magazines and all the promises that, you know, the, the serum systems can provide. Um, so they, they want to they go from zero to 100 right away. Yeah. And you say, like, listen, you, you know, a good CRM project can last a couple of years. And you have to start with contact management. I mean, can you have your... 15 person group actually have a, you know, share a decent database and put notes in and complete activities and do emails where it's, you know, productive and informative and accurate information for just that group, just that contact management. And it is amazing how many businesses can't even do that yet before they get into advanced marketing automation, you know, or service management. You, so you, you, you got people who refuse to use the two letter abbreviations for the states and then they get frustrated by the system. I mean, it's just so funny where how the simple things tend to derail these fabulous pieces of technology all the time. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. Okay. You write as well. I'm never going to cover all my questions here. I'm warning you right now in the bit, 10 minutes bit. that we have left, but it's fine because you know this happens to me every time and you know what? It's a good thing because people should be uh, get a little taste of what you're writing about here and say, I, I, I need to buy this book to find out how it ends. So um, um, you write a little bit about resistance, you know, and pushback. Um, how do you deal with that in your organization? Because it, yeah, it's yeah. going to happen when you're putting in a process. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I, there's all kinds of reasons for pushback. The, the two most common are change is hard. You go first is the way I always like to say it, right? Yeah, so yeah. one in an entrepreneurial company, there's not a lot of waste. And so typically if you've got 10 people in your company, Gene, my guess is 9.5 to 10 of you are pretty damn good at your job the way you do it right now. And if that isn't the case, you're not like the federal government. You don't have a lot of non-essential workers you can send home when there's a budget argument, right? So true. So, so, so to get somebody who's pretty good at his or her job to change a habit is really hard. That's the most obvious change aversion issue. The other thing, though, that needs to be talked about is we are talking about accountability, okay? So if you are trying to grow and scale a company, there comes a time when the fact that you've got, if you're, if you're running a manufacturing business and you've got 10 machine cells run by 10 different team leaders, and the 10 of them have their own unique way of staffing and training and straightening up after a shift and count. You cannot scale with that kind of philosophy, even if all 10 of them 
produce consistently exceptional results. Sure. And because now when you're sharing one person from one cell to augment somebody who's out on another cell, all hell breaks loose. And so what happens is clients underestimate how dangerous that, yeah, well, as long as Gene's getting great results, let's let Gene do it his yeah. way. And so right. that's right. the other thing is everybody doing it their own way can't possibly work if you're trying to grow and scale your business. And then the last thing is, Nobody really wants to be held accountable every day. Right. You know, if we could get away, I mean, that former CPA, you know, you're counting utilization, realization, how many tax returns did you finish? This yep. time of year, I should be very careful talking about that because there may be a lot of grumpy people out there listening to this podcast. But, but, but it, that is, man, it feels like there's a thumb on you and that's a grind. And, and so leadership goes a long way towards helping with that. C can you lead in a way where your people understand that we're giving you data and coaching so that you can manage yourself, right? so that you know what great looks like. And if you want to be great, this information and this process and these numbers are your tools to be great. It's like a downhill skier or a, or a hundred yard dash runner who's constantly looking at their weight workouts and their training regimen and their, and their times in all kinds of conditions and endeavoring on their own to get better. That's what we're trying to teach with this stuff is if you want a company full of champions, you need to give them the tools that champions use to make themselves champions and not be the kind of leader and manager who's sitting there cracking a whip every day, making accountability a, a victim perpetrator relationship, but a coach mentor relationship instead. You also say that, you know, one of the ways to overcome challenge, you, you've, as the leader, you've got to be passionate about what you're implementing, right? I mean, it has to come from the top. You need to believe this is important. And this is the part that a lot of us founding entrepreneurs struggle with. You need to be willing to follow your own processes, mm. right? If your process says, Hey, when we have a meeting, you need to start the meeting on time and end the meeting on time. Mm -hmm. And you're the one in the company who's notoriously late to every meeting. You just galvanized cynicism into your organization. And so yep. don't make it a rule if you're not willing to follow it. You know, it's funny you say that as well, because the, uh, um, you, you, we talk about accountants and CPAs and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest, you know, things that brings down internal control in an organization, particularly in a small organization is management override, right? Where you've got the rules, like no checks are allowed to go out without these authority you know, approvals or whatever, except for me, I'm the boss. Just give me a check because I want to get, and the minute that you see that, right? Uh, everybody else says, well, he's not following the own rules. Well, you know, why should I be following those rules? Yeah, who cares that it's payable to the win in an even, <laughs> if, in an even number? <laughs> yeah, I, you're right, you're right. Um, what is the kind of syndrome and why is it such a huge <laughs> obstacle for leaders? Yeah, so so you you might have uh, glimpsed the fit of rage I was in after a special <laughs> one day where we ask a question every year of our clients running on EOS. Actually, we ask 20 questions in a tool called the Organizational Checkup that you can find on the EOS Worldwide website. And the question is about the process component. It's, are our core processes documented, simplified, and followed by all 
to consistently produce the results we want? And you answer that question on a scale of one to five with five being absolutely. Yeah, got it. And I've got a lot of clients who I know for a fact haven't done any of that stuff <laughs> that will say four or five. Right. And when I say, so wait a minute, I don't remember doing this with you. So maybe you did it alone. <laughs> did we agree on your list of your handful of core processes? Well, kind of Peyton. I mean, we just, you know, <laughs> but the, have you documented them? And, you know, documenting is not a real subtle word there. That means the steps are written down and you all agree. Well, kind of Peyton. I mean, we basically do it. And so that's the kind of syndrome and, and in a company that's growing and scaling kind of will kill you. Because if I'm a brand new person and you say to me, hey, just go ask Bill or any of the other machine team leads how to do that, Peyton, and there are 10 different ways of doing it amongst the 10 people, my head explodes. Yeah. How can I learn the right way of doing it if you've got 10 people you told me to go ask and they give me 10 different answers, like calling the IRS, right. no offense intended to our federal government. All right, Peyton. So as a wrap up here, um, what, what do you want your readers to take away from this book after reading it? Yeah. So, so I am passionate about helping entrepreneurs reignite their passion for their business. Far too many people who are running their own businesses feel stuck and frustrated, um, worried about the future rather than confident in the future they're, they go through periods where they wonder why they started the business in the first place. Maybe they should, should have taken a job with a big corporation out of school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so please reconnect with the passion you had for your business. And if you can't do that, EOS and things like strengthening your process component can help you reach out and ask for help. That's what all of the 650 people who do this work around the globe are hardwired to do. We're here to help you. And lots of other coaches and consultants and system experts are out there to help you as well. Just don't feel like it's your lot in life to not have a passion for your business. Life's too short, man. The book is called Process, How Discipline and Consistency Will Set You and Your Business Free. I have been speaking with Mike Payton. Uh, his co-author is Lisa Gonzalez. The website for EOS, eosworldwide.com. Did I get that right, Payton? You did 100% right. Fantastic. Peyton, a great conversation. Guys, a great book. We've scratched the surface of what's in this book as well. Uh, and obviously, if you're a business leader, a manager, or owner, um, and you really want to take your business to the next level, it does depend on processes. And this is a great playbook for helping you put those in place. So Peyton, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to the next book. Are you working on anything new or is this going to be it for a while? A couple ideas on the drawing board yet. Nothing being put pen to paper. So, uh, yeah. Gene, this was a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Everybody, you've been watching and listening to Biz Books. My name is Gene Marks. Thank you very much for spending the time. As you know, I speak to great and smart business authors like Peyton about the great books that they have written. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Again, thanks for listening or watching. We will see you then. Take care.